Hi, this is Bruce Bartlett, and welcome to Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. This week, we're joined by guitar professor Bruce Bartlett. Bruce has been a professor here at Berkeley for over 25 years and has been a busy working guitarist since he was 19. Bruce has performed and taught all over the world from Italy to Argentina to Indonesia, and he's played with folks like John Blackwell, Chick Corea, and has his own band, the Bruce Bartlett Trio, that has released seven full-length albums. As always, a lot of this content will be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Bruce Bartlett. Kim Perlack, I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music, and welcome to another Coffee Talk. Today, as usual, we've got Cheryl Bailey with us, our assistant chair. Hey, Cheryl. Coffee cheers. Coffee cheers. Hey, Ian. Ian Steed, our senior coordinator of the department. Hey, all. Happy to be here. <laughs> and our special guest today is Bruce Bartlett, who's a professor in the guitar department. Hey, Bruce. How's it going, guys? Hey, coffee cheers to you. Same to you. And a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, Bruce, the first thing we always ask everybody is a coffee question. And we were talking a little bit before, and and you've, like, you've simplified your coffee life. So tell I, us what you do now. Yes, I've trimmed it way down um, to actually basically a half a cup a day. Whoa. If I'm really feeling dangerous, I'll go for a whole cup. And uh, the, the expense on my side of the fence is a little on the, under the radar because... My coffee machine is like twenty-five dollars. It's a Mister Coffee machine, and I use Maxwell House, the house blend. So it's always around. I look at it that way. It's convenience. Yeah, basic, easy, right. no no fuss. Right, really, and you can get down to the Seven Eleven and get your coffee. There you go. That's right. It's everywhere. Everywhere you would go, you would be able to get what you're used to. Yes. Yes. Well, that's really yeah. That's really interesting. It's almost like finding a Squire Strat, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah, and then it lets you focus on the other parts of your day. Right. Like trying to find a way to sell it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that got Cheryl's funny bone over there. I can see that <laughs> laughing over there. Um, Anyways, it's a pleasure being here, and um, you yeah. guys are doing a great job. And um, I really enjoy... Um, all the things that happen in these days with the students because I'm seeing some stuff, even on my personal schedule and my Berkeley schedule, that uh, some some things with with uh, these uh, I don't want to say kids, but the students these days are just the uh, the potential's off the hook. Mm -hmm. Just that I'm noticing um, the energy and the potential's off the hook. They just need to be connected with some vocabulary and, and structure. So it's not always visual, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like the next step with it. But I don't, I always tell the kids too, it's like, I don't want you to lose the way you're connecting at all. You just have right. a little bit of sensibility. Like, what's the third of D flat? You know what that is? Yeah, that, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point here because you have been like in the Boston 
guitar scene and jazz scene for a really long time. And you've also been at Berkeley as well, a professor. I, I mean, I started at Berkeley when I was 15 years old. Right. Yeah, and you've been here. You you play. I think uh, if you had to count, you probably play more gigs than almost anybody I've ever heard of in well, town. I mean, like you're you're the maybe most represented Boston guitar player that that I know. And wow. I think it's really interesting because as you've been keeping that up all these years and connected to Berkeley, you have seen tons of students come through your studio, but also the school. And that's an interesting point that you're noticing something really specific about the kids that are here now. And I wonder if you could talk a little more about that. Like, Good point, Kim. Because um, it's funny, too, because even before I was teaching at Berkeley, you, know, you, you, uh, <clears throat> you see phases of people that are into certain things. Like, I'll never forget, like back in the 80s, like everybody had a pointed headstock and they're trying to shred, you know what I mean? There was a lot of lights going on with all of the, all of the uh, outboard gear because there's racks and lights and things are big. And, and it was a fun time to begin with because things were changing. But then all of a sudden I noticed it's funny too, because they would come in and they, you know, they, it was, it's always the same theme though, because everybody wants freedom. Uh, they're looking for their own personal freedom and whatever they're trying to do. But, Sometimes the energy and the work don't mix because, mm -hmm. like, yeah, sometimes develop. You know, it takes time with consistency to work. So, but they want that. Like the, the metal, the uh, the shred guys back then. Then the blues guys started coming in with the strats after Stevie passed away. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to get more organic, which I was I was really down for that. Tell you the truth. And then that's even in the sounds and the way people pr uh, presented themselves. But still the same thing. They wanted freedom, more organic. And even the blues guys wanting to get into jazz. Ah, there's work. Hmm. Different way than I'm used to. So it's, I still think it's a balance of both because you don't want to lose where you connect. That's where a lot of people get a little turned off is because if they can't do something, they look at somebody who can do something they can't, they figure that everything they do is invalid. But that ain't the case. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Everybody's got their own little fingerprint. So. Mm -hmm. I've seen it happen. And then, then I've seen a West phase, like around Berkeley, there was a point. I think it was like the early nineties, everybody had a big jazz guitar and wanted to play like Wes. Mm -hmm. And that great, you know, come on, you know, how can you say it's bad? Um, but getting to your own voice is a different story. Mm -hmm. It's it's weird too, because like yeah, I'm a little older. When I was coming up, if you sounded like somebody else, people would make fun of you. <laughs> now it's all based around sounding like somebody else or something that's already been done. Not, I'm not saying it's all like that because there are a lot of great, like I said, there's a lot of great things going on. It's amazing, actually. But um, <clears throat> we're, we just, where's the cutoff and what's the goal? I always looked at it like everything I ever learned was kind of contributing to my own personal voice. Mm -hmm. And then I would choose to use it how I want to, hopefully, if I had the freedom in it. You know, when I'm, it's funny though, I'd be doing a lot of blues gigs. What I get called for? Jazz gigs. I do right. I'm getting called for some groove. It's like <laughs> sometimes they would match up and you'd feel like you're in the vibe and you got called for the right thing, but which is interesting too because uh, I just did a gig for the first time last Saturday, first time in a year and a half, and uh, I got a steady Wednesday gig out of it right out of the gate. So I was like, whoa. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was some, with some good guys up in Beverly, Massachusetts. Uh, Mark Early, he plays a room full of blues. It's like a blues band with a, with a free player. But, you know, Jeff Stout is going to play with us tomorrow night. So it's like kind of like jazz, blues. We have a little a little home base happening. So it's kind of nice to go from um, 
playing uh, playing at home or have a cat. A lot of cats have been coming by too at a session like Randy or uh, Mark White. And that always keeps everything really fresh for me too. You know, there are a few things right in there that I want to ask you about. Um, but one of them is just to finish this thread about your perceptions of the students. Do you have something that you think is common to students that you see recently, like kind of this crop of students, maybe last five years, like strengths and, and maybe like gaps to work on that are common to them? Here's something right, right out of the gate. I mean, and, and I'm, gonna, uh, I'm not gonna mention any names right now because just, but um, I met a kid at guitar sessions um, the last time I was there physically, which was, what, the 10 years ago? <laughs> no, was it three years or two years ago? 2018, was it? I 18 or 19. What, yeah, maybe 18 for you, actually. Yeah. For me, because of what? Well, yeah, exactly. So I met this kid there, and uh, and then after it was over, he asked me for lessons online. So I was doing some Zoom stuff before all this crap happened anyways for, uh, inter, you know, international or, people, or some of my students that would move for, to a different state when they graduated. But um, he, um, I think he was 15 when I met him, or 16. And there again, so he, he took like two like two years worth of lessons with me. And I was basically, I mean, the kid's chops are crazy. And he could copy anything. I mean, anything. And it'll sound like the real deal. But the thing is, if I was to play a duo with him, he wouldn't be that, the real deal because he wouldn't know what to say. But when you hear him play, it's crazy. And um, so he did two years. He auditioned for Berkeley. He's coming in in the fall. Oh, nice. They gave him a free ride. Full ride. He, he taught himself how to play classical mm -hmm. uh, in the past two years. Mm -hmm. And he kind of sounds like a master. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. And then when he plays uh, Bach, he took anthropology, you know, the fast, the fast with the live, the live radio cut. He transcribed it by ear and plays it right along effortlessly. I'd never seen anybody play it that effortlessly before. Just crazy. So I'm seeing that kind of stuff. But then when you peel back the layers, I'm like, what I was trying to do to him, I'm like, hey, what's the last tune you wrote? Hmm. Hey, what are you hearing when I play this chord? Let me hear, let me hear you write a little etude based on these set of changes and play it for me. So I'm trying to get it so he can start to develop his own his own thing. So I guess what I'm seeing is this crazy energy, not just with him, but with other students too. And just they need a means to kind of just plug it in and connect it with more stability and vocabulary, I think. That, that makes that, a lot of sense. That they can kind of transform and and use and uh, and uh, for their own voice, really, like I said before. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. It, it kind of coincides with a lot of resources that are at hand for young players that you can oh, grab stuff, you can find a teacher, you can work on stuff in your house, you can copy, you can transcribe, you can, if you have a good teacher, you can get technically like rocking. But then do you understand the depth of what all that is made of. Can you take it apart and use the pieces in different ways? Can you make your own compositions, make your and improvise in your own voice with that? Um, I mean, it's only be a gap for a lot of students who don't have like, I think what we had when we came up was this sort of oral history lineage where it wasn't just like you were listening to a record. You, you were kind of made to go to the library and find all the records in the past, but, behind that and then there you're always playing with other people so like you would work on something but then you'd be sitting with others even if when I was a classical musician I was in a 
my teacher just made us be in a quartet, you know, so you're playing with other people. You have to, can your sound blend? Like, do you understand rubato? Do you understand time feel with other people? Bingo. And, um, that might be a, a gap in the way a lot of people learn. They, they learn more of the individualistic skills and they have a lot of passion, um, but they haven't like put those things together with others or, or like taken them apart for themselves yet. And then there again to that, I would say that the opportunities are less in some ways, even though there's a lot more opportunities and exposure. And uh, I mean, the internet is so fast and quick, but the opportunities to do that is from playing with people like on a club every night. Jeez, in 1977 alone, I did 300 gigs that year. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> nothing up saying I'm all that. You know what I mean? I was glad I was working. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And, and that went on forever, but I think that's, well, sessions can help too. See, the opportunity of the clubs and the, and the venues, they're not as much, but people are finding a way to play, which is awesome. You know what I mean? But, you know, and it takes consistently just playing and playing. But getting back to convenience again, I'll never forget back in the day when I was studying with Charlie Benakis, right? He would be like, hey, Bruce, man, I want you to pick up this special, special record and do this solo on this tune because it has to be that one because it has something to do with what he was showing me. What do I have to do? You ride around to a million different record stores. It takes you about five hours sometimes. Oh, I found it. <laughs> then go home and you put it on a turntable with mm -hmm. a <laughs> down to 16, then retune your guitar because it's not quite down down the octave. And you know, and then you know, so there's that. And but now, geez, brip, there it is. Brip, amazing slowdowner, boom, boom. So that convenience plus the uh, the uh, the talent and the exposure that these kids have. Yeah. 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 It's interesting how things that are pluses also can become challenges, you know, or the, or vice versa, the things that are challenges, you know, sure. become, become pluses. Cause I think if you are doing a lot of sessions, like when I was in high school, for example, we did a ton of sessions every week. It was like, I had a little guitar quartet and then you think like, Hey, we're ready. We could play gigs. Sure. And before you know it, you're starting to collect gigs. And then your whole summer job as a high school student is playing gigs, but you don't know that you're ready until you've been playing with other people enough to feel ready, maybe, you know, and then that's one thing can lead to another. So I think it's really cool that, that you're able to kind of see over time, okay, this group of students has these resources. And then, you know, 10 years later, the resources have changed. So the experience of the students has changed. So now what do they need, you know, when they come to lessons? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, even like doing a gig, it's like, oh, wait a minute. What, like, uh, this, uh, uh, when I first started doing that, I was, uh, it was with this, uh, when it was like an R&B band that was professional show band and all that. So I, I mean, I was literally all on the road forever. And um, that was the start of it. And then when I quit that, I started doing all the Boston stuff with the jazz stuff. But man, I'll tell you, it's like, oh, I have to turn down the keyboard player solos. Oh, I have to be on time. Oh, I have to be, I have to be living with the same people week after week and not vibe them. Oh, I got to learn how to deal with myself. You know what I mean? Where can I practice? Oh, there's a bathroom I can practice in. Okay. Then there's downstairs a function room with a piano. I can jump in there at 10 o'clock every morning and mess around, you know? So there's like the stuff you can't really learn like in a school or in a book until you're actually, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. I, I'm wondering, like, as a guitar player, what did you work on? What did you do in your playing that allowed you to be able to be so stylistically versatile 
and then also kind of keep your own sound. Cause I think people would say, yeah, I, I, I can hear Bruce Bartlett. I can identify him. But then at the same time, I mean, just in this last 10 minutes, you've said, well, I did this R and B gig. I did this blues gig. I did this jazz gig. This one has a mix of these things. You know, what did you have to work on to get that way? Um, well, well, first of all, <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> the first motivation was paying the rent. <clears throat> so when I was playing the top 40 stuff, it wasn't exactly like I really wanted to do it. You know what I mean? But I figured, wait a minute. At least I'll be playing every night and I can shit all day long. It's better than doing a different kind of job. For me at the time, I didn't want to do that. I want to just keep my hands on the guitar. So... Even in that though, it's like that band was pretty professional. They would make me learn like three or four tunes every week. I have to buy the 45, learn it by ear. That helped my groove out. I would study with Nyla Rogers and didn't even realize it because half the tunes that I was trying to learn were actually, he was the guy on the, on the records, you know what I mean? And then um, I always had a love for uh, <clears throat> blues and rock. Uh, so, you know, that's where it all started really. And then, um, and then I, and then actually, <laughs> Here's another good one for you. Uh, I've always loved jazz too. I really have. At first, though, the energy of jazz and the energy of what I was into were totally different. So I wasn't I wasn't down with it. But then when I started to kind of get more into the subtleties and the feel, the, and the harmony here and the stuff. I mean, so then on the uh, top forty band when they would do a funk grooves, they would let me solo if I played jazzy. But if I played rocky, they wouldn't. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna learn how to play jazz better. <laughs> <laughs> but then I really love it too. So it wasn't just that. That's not just the motivation. I hate to sound so uh, uh, surfacey, but superficial. But yeah, it kind of started in that way. And I learned a lot from those guys. So they were all Berkeley grads. I was like 18, whatever. You know what I mean? So I don't even know how I got the gig, tell you the truth. But <clears throat> do you remember your first days at Berkeley? I went there. Well, to be totally honest with you, I went to Berkeley for like two months, and then I and then I quit because I got a I got a gig playing with a rock band in Maine every every night of the week. So I was like, my father wasn't very happy. I have to admit, but <laughs> but I wanted to play. So and and that's what that's what happened. Uh, so it was really good. I, even in those couple of months that I was, I actually I was like I did a semester I think, and I did fine. It worked out, but I was already gone halfway through the semester doing the gig. And uh, so when I came back, it was like, it didn't make sense. And then I, then I ended up just floundering a little bit. I got a couple of regular gigs and I landed at other gig, uh, the, the R&B gig. Well, I was on that for seven years. And then I met like cats like Randy, you know, and uh, I was going, you know, it bought the Boston scene back then was, <clears throat> was really tremendous too. Think about this. Schofield, you could just see him at Riles or the Willow. The Willow was a cool little place where I ruined a very beautiful Gibson one night. But anyways, oh yeah, nine dollar gig. I tripped on my on my cord. My guitar went flying. Cracked the head headstock off. Yeah. No. Oh yeah, nine dollar gig. Done. And after that, it was never the same. So I sold it. But anyways, like so the exposure, Pat Metheny, Kevin Eubanks. Okay, um, who else? A uh, Frizzell. Tiger, I met, it was, which is really weird is I ended up uh, joining, I actually, I joined Randy's band back then because he asked me to join it and that was fun. We had a great time. And then I got, then I started playing with Tiger Okoshi. I was with, I was on his gig for 18 years. 
we did I did all the all the local stuff. I didn't do the Japan uh, the Japanese stuff. We went to Canada and did all that. So in in through that I, I I came to play with a lot of great players that were coming in and out of that band. So that was a lot of fun too. And uh, I think Stern used to do that gig. Yeah, he did. Stern did that gig. Frizzell actually was the original guitar player on that band. So I just want to say to everybody's listening, Randy, who you're talking about is Randy Ruse, who uh, we just talked to a few weeks ago. You can look that up. And and um, you've also thrown Mike Stern's name in just now. So a lot of a lot of names that people will recognize, people who lived here and, and worked here. And Tiger, of course, is in the brass department, a great yeah. professor in the brass department. Oh, geez, I mean, the Tiger alone. I mean, geez, we opened up for Weather Report. I mean, that was a great, I mean, we did a lot of good stuff. Um, it's funny when I think about that, too, not that I'm trying to promote myself because whatever, but, man, I've opened up for a lot of great people. Jesus. Stephen Ray Vaughan, that was with Tiger. Um, Holsworth, I, we had a fusion band with Steve Hunt, and we opened up for Holsworth way before he was playing with with, uh, with uh, uh, Alan. Um, my own trio, actually, we opened up for McCoy Tyner, who's one of my biggest heroes, um, <clears throat> and Etta James, Hugh Masekela at the uh, Hatchell there. Mm-hmm. But the band I had too that was like me, Baron Brown, and Abel Boreal Jr., the guy that plays uh, McCartney. That was a killing band. But yeah, I think it's good for people to hear those stories because I think you forget sometimes that, you know, some of the records that you have, you, you don't think of the people necessarily as people. And then you realize, like, all the people you're learning from when you're in a musical environment like Berkeley, they're all peers. Right. So everybody comes up together and then you just kind of go on your career takes its own path. Right. And some people end up playing more on the road. Some people end up teaching more. But there are these instances where you're all playing together because that's your peer group. That's your your group of folks. And then there's other bands that are last a long time or that end up with younger people like multi-generational bands. Right. And so. I used to look at them as my heroes, and the next thing I know, if I thought about women, I guess they're kind of my, I, I don't even want to admit that they're still my peers even now. You know what I mean? It's like... Right. I like to keep it there. You know I mean? Just kind of... I don't want to even go there. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting move where... Um, I remember one time I, I met one of my hero heroes, and he told me right away, like, I think he was... It was after concert. He just said, I'm just going to say this, like, don't ever ask anybody for their autograph, like, including me. Because we want to see you as a young one of us. And when you put that paper in front of someone or you put them on a pedestal, you're separating yourself. And you want to be in the group. You want to be in the line. And I think a lot of our students are in that moment where they're making that mental shift. Like, how do I act like a good colleague, basically, if you want to use that term? Right? right? How do I present myself as someone who, yeah, like it would be a natural thing to say, yeah, like, yeah, hire that person, hire that woman, hire that guy. They would be great in this band. They'd be great on the road. They, you know, and and I think people really don't understand. They think like, well, I'm just going to get to the certain level and be kind of famous and then they'll pluck me out of the sky. But it's not like that. It's like all these little moments over and over and over again, where you present yourself like someone who's on top of it, who's, who can play, and who's easy to get along with, be what would be good on the bus or whatever. Well, even for myself, I just try to keep it simple. I try not to even think of that stuff. I just try to do, just keep it focused on what, you know, try to be on time and do the right, the good job and right. call it a day. You know what I mean? If I, I do. But, you know, it, but somebody told me once a long time ago that, um, actually somebody that you know, and I'm not going to say anything, I'm gonna, it's not a person that I've mentioned previously, so 
You never figured Ooh. it. I gotta figure this out. Later, well, after after coffee talk, we'll find. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know man. We have to talk about some payola. Uh, <laughs> no, but really, uh, he told me um, one of the hardest things about playing music is dealing with people. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, it's really um, not that you know. I don't have an attitude towards people whatsoever. You know what I mean? I just kind of take it the way it, the way it happens. But you know, when you're on the road with the same people for like you know three, four, five months, things pop up. Trust me. And you never, <laughs> and you never know where that's going to come from. So I just try to keep to myself. You know what I mean? Cheryl's laughing because of a pre-coffee talk conversation. It's <laughs> oh. a good segue to. Uh, to like throw it over to you, Cheryl, and there's a ton of stuff on your mind. I know with with everything you've been saying so far. Yeah. Well, Bruce, I actually wrote down something that you said because I said, "Yeah, that's it. Everyone's yeah. looking for freedom, right? Like the drive to play. Really, what is the drive behind why we want to play music or why some experience happened when we were a kid and we saw someone playing? We're just like, I want that. I'm uh, that is me in some ways. Like you, you just know your family, like you identify your tribe in some way. But, but so also thinking about that in terms of that's really what's behind our journey, but also about, you know, talking about playing with others and it's really playing music is, is in a community event. And I just want to think about when I think about you when I f- really first met you and we hung out in LA, Berkeley in LA, the first thing you're like, Hey man, let's get together and play like like that, you know, and we made it happen and we had such a good time. And, every, you know, every time we see you, are like, well, can we get a minute to play? And and that's really that attitude that gets us to really putting all those things together, like all the stuff that you're learning. It's these technical things and it might seem piecemeal, but when you're playing, that's when it all comes together. Also, you know, because you're caught up in the moment of trying to apply and then you're listening and you're here. I'm, I'm hearing what you're playing and I'm like, whoa, what is that? That's cool. How do you do that? And you're, you know what I mean? Like, that's really where it happens. The real moment of arrival, I think, in, in your development. I agree with you. And I've, I've had those moments in my kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, well, actually not cooking, but playing, uh, you know, well, actually not my old kitchen, not this kitchen, because it's too nice. But in my old kitchen, that used to be where I taught and did everything, really. I'm Italian anyway, so half Italian. So I do everything in the kitchen. So I've had some moments in my kitchen in the old days playing jam with a student or even a friend might come over or whatever. Bingo. The, 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 you know what's interesting too? <clears throat> and this used to happen. Um, I used to get frustrated with this back in the day. And now I think I've just gotten over myself. <laughs> but it's like you might have a great night in this club. I mean, like, special. Like, things are just like, what? And I'm not talking about that your chops. Your ch- I'm just talking about the whole band just playing together. Just things are just feeling musical and new and free and whatever. Same night. I mean, same band. Next night. Same scenario. Same guitar. Same equipment. Same people. Didn't quite reach the night before. How come? So then... I started thinking quite a bit about that <clears throat> and it came to expectations. So here I am before the gig, not expecting, oh, before the good gig, 
not expecting expecting anything special to happen and just going there to and it kind of just happened next night now i'm expecting what happened the night before to happen the next night in the same exact way with the same energy and the same whatever spirit didn't match up i used to get frustrated if that happened because i didn't realize to let that go and just seize what's going on at that moment because even though it's the same people same club different night i mean just the next night just kind of being sensitive to taking that moment and making it work, even if it's an uncomfortable moment. Very, very, I used to get, that used to, that used to get me sometimes. Then I'd start blaming other people. Hey, you're, you're slowing down, you're speeding, whatever, you know what I mean? So, but, it, but isn't that the whole truth of it is really when you're playing music, it is about in the moment. Really Even if you're playing, you know, you, you're playing the same repertoire over the, you know, that's what I often say to students if they're hemming and hawing about going out to see live music or to anyone go out and see live music. It, it's, it's, it only happens that one time. And then it's, you know, off to the ethers with it. And that's why it, it's about showing up and being, and I feel, you know, about just deepening your skills as a musician is deepening your ability to be here in the moment and then reacting to that. So, you know, and there's, so you talk about a band, there's all kinds of stuff that happened that day. You're on the road, whatever. Somebody got bit by, stung by a bee or whatever, you know. Right. Something that weird, you know, there, so it's, it is sort of like almost this cosmic balance of all those factors that could come together, but you've got to be there. And maybe you go, maybe you are there and you're like, well, that wasn't the best that wasn't the best hamburger I ever ate, but <laughs> or what, you know, it wasn't the best solo I ever played, but we go on to the next moment. Exactly. And the thing is, if you start to, then it gets weird because if you start to make yourself not expect anything, then you're expecting yourself not to expect. Anything. So it's like, it's into that whole thing where you have to kind of just let, just like, just let it go. You know what I mean? It, it's I'm curious of, as to what, you think so in that in those moments where you said like the whole band was just like yeah something did click and then myself man i'm in wonderland every time so whenever i get there i'm curious as to like what it would be like as the audience member there because i feel like there have been takes that i've done where i'm just like that was so killing i'm at the top of my game all this stuff and i listen back and i'm like oh <laughs> or and then and then the opposite would be like I just like I hated that take I wasn't very good I'm like oh and I'm really down on myself and then I listen back I'm like oh that was like kind of happening and I'm like wondering if like how much those moments are just in the way you feel as opposed to the way the music like sounds like on an objective sense. Okay, this I got two things for you on that one. One, check this out. First of all, from your own personal thing, right? I'll never forget this kid was out. Uh, was a Berkeley, I was teaching a Berkeley uh, student there in the, in the room there a couple of years ago. He goes, Bruce, man, I hate the way I'm playing these days. So I said to him, I go, man, when was the last time you did a gig? He goes, oh, it's been six months. I go, then how the heck do you know if you're playing good or not? Because <laughs> you're not playing. <laughs> so then that got me to thinking. I think what he was telling me was he probably felt guilty about not taking care of business. Okay, that's one. But two, maybe his hands didn't feel good. So then that led me to thinking, Okay, so if my hands feel good, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be playing good ideas. So my hands could feel good and still play bad. 
Or my fans could be feel bad and I might be playing good. And I won't know that until I hear it back because it just was painful at the moment because it just felt out of shape. But you could be playing very good music. You know, obviously everybody wants the hands to feel good and we're playing great. But there might be a little of that involved in it too. You know what I mean? Maybe if hands didn't feel quite comfortable at the moment and you might have been playing good. Which is well, I think what you're saying is, you, yeah, what you're saying about expectation, back to the back start, to sort of thing is, is that you have to suspend expectation because we can't be objective. I mean, I think we can, I've had that same experience as Ian, and I think we all have. And it taught me to be, to say, I can't be really objective on my own play. So I'm going to give that up. I'm giving it up. And, and just try to be as much in the moment, enjoy, enjoy as much of the experience as I can. So. Yeah, so uh, that's that's interesting. So like, what were some of like the places that you felt like, um, uh, like Bruce, I guess like for your expectations, um, like what were some of those moments where like you really felt great? And like, how do you think you got there? Good question, man. <laughs> that, well, I can be specific about that, actually. I do not practice the day of a gig, ever. I'll barely pick it up. I'll just practice in my mind a little bit, just noodle around to get loose and leave it up to whatever. I figure I've, been played, en I've played enough over my life and my years that I'm not going to forget how to play guitar. And then putting myself in a practice mode before I'm actually going to play that kind of like ruins it because then all of a sudden I got all these things that I'm practicing on my mind that I might start practicing on the gig. So I kind of try to leave that alone. I try to keep it diff uh, keep it separate. So that's so specifically, that's one thing I'll do. Bruce, can you talk a little bit about, um, about the way that you overcame, you had an injury at one point. So your hands definitely didn't feel good. Right. Oh, oh, no. And but I remember talking to you at that time and, and you were still playing gigs and you were figuring it out. You know, you were like, well, my hand really can't move out of this position. You know, what chord is that? Like, what could I play if I if if this was what I had to work with? And I, I think that's important for people to hear that you can still you found a way through it. Well, there's, there's a lot of different types of hand problems, obviously physical <clears throat> the problem that i had was called focal i had still have it, actually it's called focal dystonia and that's more of a nerve uh, brain signal connection and um <clears throat> that was that's a pretty tricky thing uh to deal with um but getting back to regular hand problems just i would say just at this stage of the game and especially when you're young you can feel invincible and you could actually do bad things and it won't not, you know, everything is cool until you hit like 40. <laughs> then it's like, but, but um, <clears throat> just try not, try not to play with tension. I mean, it's a very simple, very simple uh, philosophy. Every once in a while, check your back. Every once in a while, see if your wrists, are, wrist, having straight wrists is a very good thing too, because that bending of the wrist in the wrong direction is too much. That's carpal tunnel uh, city right there. So you want to just maintain a relaxed place. With focal dystonia, though, I had to um, rework fingerings. See, the thing is with that, I was feeling weak, but the harder I practiced, the worse it got. So I tried acupuncture, I tried physical therapy, I finally went to a neurologist, and he, he diagnosed it, 
And then I was like, oh, so I just got to get my old ticker. I mean, not my ticker, but my old noggin here to, to make my fingers work. So I just slowed everything down for a couple of years and played very slow. Just, I, I want my, it got to the point where it turned, I, my hand would look like that trying to tune up a guitar, like ding, 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 ding. It, it was bad. So I got it so that I could just like get a finger on a note. Meanwhile, I'm still gigging and teaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how I roll. Anyway, so, <clears throat> so, and then that, then it, so I think I've worked, I think they call it rechanneling. So I, I basically did that without real, realizing I did it. I kind of rechanneled uh, fingerings and, and I tried to play stuff I knew I could play because I used to always be about, oh, that's really hard to play. Well, let's try to do it. You know what I mean? So I think that might have, that might, might have caused my own problem there a little bit. Focal dystonia could also get into your life. Like you might be going through some stuff in your life that's actually contributing to it. So it's always good to be relaxed and to maintain and to nurture the technique that you have that's working and just, just keep it in that place. But yeah, it's, it, I could talk about that stuff all day long, but it's focal dystonia is a tricky, it's a very tricky thing. Like a lot of people that get it, they think they can go to a doctor and get a little remedy and they're, they're fixed. It ain't like that. I think it's good for people to know in general that having an injury doesn't have to be the end. I learned so much. Right. When I first got focal dystonia, I couldn't hold a pick. My thumb kept on, here's, what, here's how it started. My thumb kept on opening up and my pick would keep on dropping. I'm like, oh, I gotta shed my right hand. So I'm like, the more I play with the pick, the worse it got. Was it Mark White came over my house one day, we tried to tape my hand, my fingers together. <laughs> <laughs> that that really didn't work. So then I started, what I said was, okay, so back then what is, I, I, I curled my fingers this way and I got one of those big square picks and I stuck it in there. So I played like that, which actually had some power because of all the, uh, the strength you have from your forearm there, but I couldn't groove. So then I learned how to like with my fingers. So I learned how to groove without a pick. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is in me having a problem, other things got stronger and my ears got stronger too. So. Yeah. I'm curious as to like a positive attitude. You can, you will, you will get good stuff out of bad things. I think like, so I, I maybe if I could just ask you for some advice right now, because uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm currently in a sling. I uh, had a, I had a bike accident. My clavicles broken got a couple of broken ribs i can't play the guitar right now and i'm and i'm curious as to like if you got any advice for things i can do uh <laughs> keep myself fresh for sure. before I, I i pick up the guitar in a couple weeks ear training ear training like a mofo with the with the left hand i would say um i don't know i mean you could i mean you can mess around obviously uh, is, do you have anything on you have nothing on the right hand right yeah, I can't be really messing with the right hand. Well, as far as this goes, um, I mean, if you could, if you could strum, you could work on core voicings or whatever. But I would say be careful because then you might, you might see that's the kind of thing right there where you might start messing around with your in, in an unnatural way that you've played in the past with your left hand, and you might actually head down a road that could actually cause something weird if you're not careful. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have things like that. You have to be careful of. Uh, I mean, you can work on uh, what. You can do like little stuff like that, but I would say I would just wait until you get better. 
<laughs> Work on your ears. Listen to, listen to more music. The best musicians have the best ears. That's all I know. <clears throat> well said. Thank you, Bruce Bartlett. <laughs> Keep listening and try and yeah. realize you can never do enough for your ears, ever. You can't play what you can't hear. Mm. Hey, Ian, there's a question you always ask, and I'm wondering if you can ask it now. Yeah, yeah, sure. So here's a question uh, we ask everybody, um, which is, what is something that you would like students to be thinking about that's not on their radar? Like, what's something that a student should be asking about that they might not think to ask? Ask their teacher as far as in their developmental process of music or just in general? Sure. I mean, just maybe like something about blind spots, something that like, you know, that student who okay. you were trying to connect, like what's that thing that they should be thinking about that just hadn't clicked? I'll say, this. Um, I'll say if they're connecting with music that they love <clears throat> and they really feel it strongly, passionately, don't let anybody ever tell them that it's not cool. That's what I would say. Well, that goes back to your thing about finding your freedom, right? Not everybody, everybody's has their own sense of what that is and what they're trying to get. Yeah, it's funny too, because when you just see a player that you're attracted to, obviously it's the sound, it's, a, it's the vibe, but what really gets, I notice that what really gets a lot of people is when they see that freedom, that freedom, everybody wants that freedom and that's what they're very attracted to. Actually, the freedom might even supersede them hearing what the person's actually doing. <laughs> but it seems like it's free. If they perceive it as free, they're gonna be they're gonna be in that place. You know what I mean? I agree with that. And I also think it's important to remind people how powerful it is if people say that they think that something you're doing is not cool. And I've noticed that over the years, just talking to different players, like we all want to think that it doesn't affect us. We all want to think like, no, I have, I care about what I do and I feel strongly about it. But everyone has that memory and it's that kind of memory when someone has told you that and you remember like every single thing about that moment. You remember what you were wearing and what it smelled like and what the person's face looked like. It's like, it's these are powerful things and I think it's it's really cool to accept that we do care. And that, and that like what our teachers and players that we respect think of us, it can affect the way we see ourselves. And that's sometimes just something you got to work on letting go so that you can be who you are and, and let them have that moment maybe was about them and not so much about you. Right. Yeah. You never, yeah, that gets into the psychological stuff. But what did that guy's teacher tell him about? <laughs> There's a whole trail all the way back to the twenties. Who knows? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, Hey Cheryl, what else is on your mind as we're kind of coming to the the last bit of the cup here? Yeah, I mean, I I really it's been so great to hang out. I mean, I always have a blast when I hang out with you and when I play with you. You're such a positive person, and and you have so much connection to you know all these styles of music and just such a big sense of music and musicianship and that experience. So I really love all that you're talking about with, you know, really it's all about developing your ear and the community aspect of that is often the missing piece in our development, that it's just not the scales. It's not these arpeggios, not this stuff. It's putting it together with others, I think is really great. So I'm, I'm really glad that you 
we got to touch on those subjects. And also that thing about just, yeah, letting go of expectation, being in the moment and, and giving up on trying to judge every performance under a microscope. That it's, there is a, there's a bigger picture to that. That's what I always love about hanging out. You always remind me about that, that big whole holistic view of, of the, of the whole thing, the whole process. Thank you, Cheryl. It's, it's interesting too, because when you talk about ears, like I do, this, I learned this thing, like this little this ear training exercise from Charlie, you know, Charlie, you know, he was, you know, I can't say enough about him either. But so um, just for those folks that might not know, Charles Bonacus is a legendary teacher from the Boston area. I mean, you studied with him. I mean, Mike Stern, Bob Berg, Nick Juris, I mean, Harvey's ass, all, you know, just influenced a whole generation of players. So that's, it's funny because like I'm one of those people where if somebody gives me a little pat on the back, it's going to make me work three times as hard. It's like, it just makes, and he gave me confidence. So it made me work really hard. You know what I mean? So I can't say enough about the guy, but <clears throat> getting back to the years, it's like, I do the, one of Charlie's little exercises where you, you know, do a cadence and you hit a note or two notes at the same time. The ultimate goal of that exercise supposedly was, you, you know, 11 notes you tell, and you tell them what note is missing, you know? So I got it up to nine notes at the same time and, and my ears kind of just kind of deranged and did a thing and whatever. So there's, stuff, there's some stuff going on there. But when I do this with somebody and if they can't do it, this is like a pitch to interval identification. That doesn't mean they have bad ears because Hey, if you're sitting there and you, 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 you learn a tune by ear or you, you wrote a song or you're picking off a lick by ear, that's all a sign of good ears. So I think what happens is when <clears throat> I do, the, if I do that exercise and they're falling short of it because they don't know what a flat 13 sounds like, they're not hearing a flat nine somewhere. That's not, that doesn't mean they have bad ears. It's just, they haven't connected intervals yet. So connecting the intervals opens up the other side. So I guess the point I'm trying to make with that is when people do work in the areas, if they have no successes, obviously who likes to do things you're not good at? You know what I mean? Nobody really wants to do that, but with a little bit of effort, it's not a judgment on your ears, but it's just more of support in the other ears that you do have going on for you because you wouldn't be playing if you didn't have a good ear, let alone be at Berkeley. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. Ian, what about you? What, what about you? What's on your mind? Yeah, I'm I'm digging all this, but I especially liked when you were you almost you, you you said something about like the perception of the freedom almost supersedes being <laughs> able to hear. And like there's this there there's something that comes back to it like where like somebody just being in what they're playing and playing what they're playing so well gives you the notion that they could almost play anything. Right? That like really playing the heck out of whatever it is that phrase and playing it so well is better than playing something way crazier and kind of skating on like barely making through it because then you perceive that thing as real just like freedom in a way like the way you put it yeah there's a there's a lot of beauty and imperfection too you know what i mean i think <clears throat> yeah that's really interesting well, it yeah, how confidence comes across, you know, and, and also self-knowledge. If you're playing fluidly, then you know yourself, you know that. Yeah, and it feels good when that's happening. You know that when, when you're playing fluidly, you know you're playing fluidly and it, and it feels unbelievable, right? It's just he's, so I want that roller coaster to keep on going. If, you know like I mean? they, there's like a word that often is like used like intention, 
but also like what are the musical ingredients that we put in and what we practice to convey that kind of intention, you know? Well, yeah. What we practice to have the freedom to convey that. <clears throat> so, yeah. Bruce, what do you, if you had to give us some advice as we're running the guitar department and we're doing so in like, you know, we're each in different aspects of our playing careers, like, I don't know, as someone who's been here and been in Boston for a long time, like, what advice do you have for us? Geez, these days, I don't know, because like, especially the way you've handled the pandemic, it's just been tremendous. And um, as a general, good, well, I mean, the, the department is diversified more than probably, I'm sure, more than any other institution in the world. Yeah. Um, right out of the gate, that's, you know what I mean? So. I don't know. I, I, I really, you know, if I was to get, you know, really microscopic on it, I, mm -hmm. I guess you could come up with different classes on, you know, improv and this and that and different ways of getting a little bit more Zen or try to get more practical experience. I would say that try to get, just keep on, you know, you get your ensembles and you get, you do the BPC, just try to keep on supporting practical experience. But then again, where is the practical experience going to go to? So like, what's the business these days? You know what I mean? So I guess it has to be, really suited to where, where the business is going in a way, you know what I mean? So that after the guitarists graduate the school, there's a, a home for them or a home to shoot for. Like mm -hmm. in my day, there was a home to shoot for because Miles Davis was still alive. So, hey, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I want to play with Miles someday, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? But, you know, so that was, for me, it was like, what, what, is, what, is, what is the goal that you're trying to, to achieve through, because like just going to school and, and, and uh, paying the bills doesn't mean that's isn't going to be anything guaranteed for you. So just keep the, keep the, keep the uh, philosophy knowing that it's only a temporary situation there and heading towards real life where, um, but see technology is changing, the music business is changing. So I guess we have to determine what is a place for them to go. I mean, I guess it could be technology because like back in the day, you're like, you could be a guitar player and get a gig. Right and actually support yourself. I don't know if that's the case anymore as much as it used to be. Well, you might have to have multiple homes now. That's you know, what because we do have, so we have a lot of alums that stay in touch with us who are just now, right now they're playing for a living. We have other people who are completely streaming. You know, that's all they do is they stream. We have one, one guy who was in touch the other day. He moved to Houston because it's cheaper and he didn't know anybody and he makes his entire living through writing music and streaming it electric playing electric guitar and he knew he could concentrate on that you know um and so maybe that's a good answer that in the sense that there are going to be multiple homes that you'll have in your life yeah or maybe you know at the same time too i always tell students like you know the more the more skill you have not just in the you know, guitar obviously but who knows maybe you have some production skills maybe you do some transcribing mm -hmm. on the side whatever um, i teach i've been teaching forever you know what i mean so even when I was gigging like seven nights a week and I'm on the road, I was still teaching. I've always taught. So it, it's nice to know it, um, <clears throat> not to, not to take, uh, to talk about money because, um, you know, this is a music, so beautiful, sacred thing, but 
it's nice to know you can pay the bills. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I think we all agree with you on that. Well, we all agree with you on that. I, I said when there's when the, when you know you're in your you know it's like not happening. <laughs> yeah, and you know to that point, I think that I've been surprised in my life when I've had gigs that I felt were farther away from the music that I wanted to be playing. You know whether they're teaching. Well, you have to teach all these different types of subjects, or you have to. You know. I was surprised at how much I learned about being a better musician in what I cared about artistically by doing things that I would have probably told you beforehand were not related. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Ditto on that one. Yeah. So I think staying open is actually a professional skill in a way. And so, you got um, to keep on learning, even though it's painful. Learning can be painful sometimes, right? But you got to keep that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was going through my focal dystonia, sorry, one last no, thing. No, no. One of the things that um, I, I was trying to do to get through it before I knew it was focal dystonia was I was going to acupuncture. So I saw this this Chinese gentleman in Newton, uh, real Chinese. He was a Tai Chi master. I mean, the real deal. I saw him once a week. And I remember him telling me, if not going this way, going this way. Nothing stayed the same. Right. Up, he pointed up and he pointed down, right? Yeah. If you're not going up, you're going down. Yeah. And that made a lot of sense. And I took that to heart, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to keep moving. And in that regard, uh, we have a few things up our sleeve for when we're back in Boston in terms of getting people together and getting them playing and and then getting them looking at other professional applications. So we're going to be roping you in to our endeavors. <laughs> and everybody listening will rope you in, too, if you're in Boston. or And there's some of them that will be uh, – virtual so you can join us that way I'm down for it. Yep. <laughs> well i think that brings us to the end of our hour together and so i just want to say thanks bruce thanks for hanging with us and my pleasure it's been a blast uh, cheryl and ian yeah definitely you guys have been and thank you for all the work you're doing too you're doing great mm -hmm. all right well in that case cheers ian steed coffee talk please <laughs> Cheers to Cheryl Bailey and cheers to Professor Bruce Bartlett and we will be with you next time on the next Coffee Talk.